Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're having a good day, and thank you for letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk weather patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. What does he see for the rest of this uh, summer? We'll get his thoughts. We'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance, and we'll get another crop update from uh, Illinois near the Quad Cities Illinois farmer David Erickson will give us a crop report from his area. All that coming up on today's program. But first, let's take a look at the news. Joining us today is Will Stafford, Washington representative for CHS. And Will, I'm sure you've spent the night and early today already just pouring through the 2,700 pages of this infrastructure bill, right? Some Just some uh, light bedtime reading for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's like you said, 2,700 pages. Um, I've been shut up in our guest room just doing nothing but pouring over it. and It's kind of light beach reading. <laughs> well, you know, th- we've talked about this in the past. These big bills that come through, you wonder how much of the bill a legislator actually reads and sees before voting on them. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly a, a, a push for staff and for legislators to, to get all the details of a bill before they have a chance to vote. And this ended up being one of those bills where they had to vote um, a procedural vote to advance the bill um, before they actually got to see any text at all. And then this week, they'll be voting on amendments to the legislation that they've now had a chance to at least start to read. And possibly by the end of the week, they'll vote to pass it through the Senate. Now, Senator Grassley told us yesterday he's still undecided how he will vote. He's still looking at it and wanting more details and a chance to go through some of those 2,700 pages. Said he likes so far what he sees on the broadband funding part of it, but that's also an area that could see a lot of amendments. That's exactly right. Um, As of now, there's $65 billion in the bill set aside for broadband. Uh, About $40 billion of that would go to states to implement um, new broadband procedures, um, and there's also $2 billion set aside uh, for USDA to do specific rural broadband improvement as well. But as you said, um, there could certainly be lots of amendments. Um, I think a lot of senators right now are looking at that as an area that could see improvement or could see funds taken away to go to other areas. So uh, it's something that we'll be watching closely uh, as senators start to file those amendments and votes happen all week. So still a lot to do on the Senate side. Meanwhile, the the future for this bill, if it gets to the House, is really up in the air, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has still said that she will not vote on an infrastructure package in the House unless the Senate also passes the $3.5 trillion um, reconciliation bill that has more of those progressive social program priorities for Democrats in it first. Um, In addition, uh, the House margin for Democrats is only slightly larger than the Senate margin for Democrats. Um, And uh, progressives, as well as many Republicans, have already stated that they have some problems with the Senate version of the bill. So um, I I think that this week uh, is potentially a huge step forward for this bill if it does pass the Senate by the end of the week. Uh, But there's still a lot to be done in the House, especially since they've already left for their August recess. Yeah, we're talking with Will Stafford, Washington representative for CHS. There are some funding bills making their way through Congress as well. A Senate subcommittee uh, yesterday advanced a fiscal 2022 funding bill for the Ag Department and FDA. That would provide $7 billion in disaster assistance. That includes $6.28 billion to extend USDA's wildfire and hurricane indemnity program, plus Uh, program for losses in 2020 and 2021, along with an additional $750 million to set aside for losses livestock producers suffered because of drought and wildfires this year. So uh, these spending bills are important to watch, too. There's a lot in them and could be some uh, important assistance for agriculture in here. 
Yeah, there certainly is. As you said, it, it um, included a plus up for the, the WIP program and the WIP Plus program, which uh, have been very useful to producers, especially in the last couple of years um, as disaster issues have been so prevalent. Uh, and I think will be uh, will continue to be utilized by producers in the next year or two. Um, in the past years, uh, the the Senate and the House have not been able to uh, get to what's called regular order to get those funding bills through. Um, but it is certainly a good sign that both the House and the Senate seem um, uh, inclined to include disaster aid for producers. Yeah, they, they may have a little different approach to it, but they both seem to be kind of leaning in that direction, right? Yeah, that's what it seems to be. Uh, last week, the House uh, Agriculture Committee had a business meeting um, on the topic as well, where, where WIP and WIP Plus were heavily um, heavily discussed. Uh, and then, as you said, um, it was a, uh, a prime part of the, um, a central part, I should say, of the Senate funding bill as well this week. You know, getting back to the infrastructure bill, I've said this many times, but this shows how hard it is to get something passed. I mean, the infrastructure bill would seemingly just on the surface would seemingly be the closest thing you could get to a bipartisan bill these days and look how partisan it becomes. Yeah, that's exactly right. I I don't think you'll find a single member of Congress that would tell you that infrastructure is not important. Um, I think in fact, each one of them would probably say it's one of their number one priorities for their time in Congress uh, for this session. Uh, But with that being said, everyone has a different opinion on how to get it done. um, What, uh, is defined as infrastructure and what an infrastructure bill might include. And in addition to that, you know, we may be seeing that this infrastructure package is one of the only large scale packages that get passed through Congress this year. And I think you'll see more and more members of Congress in both the House and the Senate look to this as one of the last opportunities for them to get their own personal priorities passed through legislation. So it's, it's a, certainly a, um, a thin needle to thread. Uh, but I think, like I said earlier, getting it done in the Senate is a pretty large hurdle. Yeah, good news is both sides want to get infrastructure done. Bad news is they can't even agree on what is infrastructure. That's, that's exactly right. Always clear as mud here in D.C. <laughs> also, we're watching uh, EPA is going to have these uh, virtual meetings to get input on waters of the U.S. It'll be interesting to see what uh, comes from these meetings. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, This week, the EPA, as you said, has announced some uh, virtual field hearings for their uh, now third rewrite of the Waters of the U.S. rule. Um, This has been part of their promise to legislators, uh, especially in the Midwest, the Prairie Pothole region and the Dakotas, uh, to listen to impacted groups uh, as they rewrite that Waters of the U.S. rule. Um, and, and, front and first and foremost in those groups they want to listen to, according to them, are farmers and ranchers, which right now is certainly good to hear. Um, but uh, obviously this has been an issue that agriculture has been watching closely for about a decade now um, and had some relief under the Trump administration. And we have to just hope and uh, be loud and vocal that we won't return to the heavy-handed approach that the Obama administration took. All right. Thanks, Will. Good to talk with you. Always good to hear from you, Mike. Take care. Will Stafford, Washington representative for CHS. Up next, we look at weather patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. 
Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The National Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. And Dennis, good to talk with you again. Here we are now into August, and it seems like this pattern, for the most part, has been in place for some time, leaving the areas that are dry still dry and the areas getting that have been getting rain still getting rain. I mean, that's kind of an oversimplification, but hasn't this same pattern been in place for some time now? You know, I was thinking about what we wanted to talk about this morning, and and that was exactly it, that we really have not had any large-scale changes to what we have seen over the last couple months. Uh, You know, we we had some improvements kind of in the Michigan area um, back several weeks, but for, for the most part, the eastern Corn Belt, you know, from southeast Iowa to the east has generally been pretty good. You got some dry pockets that pop up and move around some different places, but really nothing too serious in that area from northern Iowa, Minnesota, the Dakotas, uh, you know, has had some spots that had some improvement. Uh, So there have been some lucky ones there with a few thunderstorms that have come around. But still, when you look at especially the U.S. drought monitor, that area from north central Iowa, north and west and the Corn Belt really has been in some form of drought now, uh, you know, since the spring overall. So that's a long way of saying you're right. (laughs) It's exactly the way Mm. it's been. So do you see any signs of that pattern breaking or changing? Um, as much as we'd love to see that, uh, it doesn't look like any any big shifts to that are going to come at this point. Uh, the new monthly outlooks from, from NOAA's Climate Prediction Center uh, came out over the weekend, and the, the temperature and precipitation patterns look to be relatively similar. The, the northwest area of the Corn Belt is, is more likely warmer, pretty strongly a good chance of being warmer, 
part of that is that, you know, we, we have the dry conditions up there, and when you have dry conditions, that tends to reinforce itself, and especially during the summertime, helps make things uh, warmer overall. Uh, and then that, uh, the, you know, centered on the Dakotas, there's a slightly increased chance of continued dryness, drier than average conditions, while the eastern part of the Corn Belt uh, looks pretty good overall. So, Really, no major changes. Uh, you know, kind of what I, I, I think is going to have to happen right now is we're we're kind of stuck with what we have until the fall, and then when we get into the fall, overall patterns change. You get larger scale, low pressure areas that can come through and bring wider spread precipitation. I think it's going to be the fall before we start seeing too much in the way of big differences. So it sounds like more of the same for a while. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. So when we look then for this fall, we're kind of going into the home stretch here on the growing season and uh, fall harvest not that far away. Uh, So we're kind of looking at uh, uh, staying pretty much the, the kind of patterns we've had. So what does that tell us about August, what are you expecting as far as an August pattern when it comes to not only precipitation, but, but temperatures? Kind of, a, in some places, off to a cooler start than we usually see in August. Um, yeah, you are right that, you know, there's there's kind of been some, some well, a couple things cool going on here. Uh, we, some of the, some of the smoke has helped cool things a little bit, reduce some solar radiation, so temperatures haven't been quite as warm. Uh, there's been there's been a benefit there. Uh, you know, looking at temperatures overall, uh, you know, as we get into the latter part of this week, uh, the eastern part of the Corn Belt actually is going to have quite a bit of heat. Uh, hmm. the, you know, it's, it's the latter part of the week with very warm temperatures, and, and the northern plains is not going to be quite as bad as it has been. Uh, but again, more more likely warmer than average temperatures over a good portion of the Corn Belt area is the way it looks. So, you know, we're going to keep pushing that crop development. You know, at worst, most of the crops are, are, are close to the five-year average, if not somewhat ahead. We would expect to see that. So fall frost probably doesn't come into play as too much of an issue as we're going along here. Uh, we're past, you know, that peak time of damage for, for corn. Um, so... You know, we can still lose yield along the way. We're going to continue to lose yield in some places, but that eastern Corn Belt area is probably going to continue to do okay. Uh, soybeans, obviously, August is, a, is our bigger time for soybeans. You know, the northern plains area is going to continue to be problematic. But if you look at the crop condition maps and reports, uh, you know, the, the, both corn and beans are pretty rough up in that area, whereas most of the rest of the, the you know, central to eastern Corn Belt beans are looking in pretty good shape and looks like August should be pretty good for them overall. You mentioned frost. I was thinking that too. Usually we're thinking about concerns over an early frost uh, and uh, the impact of that. What what are you thinking there? Um, You know, we're still far enough ahead that we can't say anything about when the frost might occur. What we're going on is that crops got into the field in pretty good shape overall. There was too much replants. Uh, temperatures were warmer than average, either early or, or middle of, of the growing season. So they're, they're at, at worst in most cases, close to the five-year average, in many cases above the five-year average. Uh, there's a growing degree day calculator that, that we, we helped develop and, and kind of looking at that. We kind of flatlined right now that we're not gaining or losing too much ground compared to average but our growing degree day accumulations are generally ahead of average, so uh, we're not too concerned about the delays, you know, of, of any delays and, and crops not being developed. You know, if, if you had a crop that was a little bit late and we had a really early freeze, maybe there's some potential, but right now I, I'm not too concerned about that overall. We look at different parts of the country, there are challenges seemingly about most places, but out west it's been so terribly hot and dry, and of course uh, a lot of states dealing too with grasshoppers and other issues. Um, what do you see, br- anything breaking there, even out of the Canadian prairies and on down, do you see anything breaking there anytime soon? You know, the 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 only fortunate thing we can say right now is that the patterns you know, I was kind of looking at some of the computer models and, and what is coming ahead over the next several weeks. The fortunate aspect 
doesn't it seems to be that things aren't locking into place like they have done for parts of the of the summer so that you're going to get hot but then you'll get some easing of that so it doesn't look like we're going to get too much locking in, in, into into similar patterns but the you know the northwestern US is likely going to have more heat again ongoing and into the the northern plains and the Canadian prairies, as you were mentioning, uh, they'll probably continue to see more of that, though with some breaks in that. Uh, you know, the odd part about this whole situation is that the, the, the desert southwest has had some improvement. The monsoon has been very good this year, somewhat damaging in some ways because of, of some flooding issues and then, uh, you know, some, some runoff, you know, high 70 being closed now because of, of runoff from some burn scars. Uh, so that's been the downside of that, but they at least have had some improvement. Uh, you know, as you get over to the California area and the western U.S. and the far western area, there we have to wait for winter to to get uh, improvement there because they just can't. You just won't get improvement there the way the climate works. Their wet time is over the winter, so we have to have a really good winter up there to be able to to change that whole situation. Unfortunately, what are ocean temperatures telling us right now? Uh, good question. Good question. Our situation right now looks like um, the you know we had a La Nina last winter. Didn't quite act like a, a La Nina last winter, but the outlook now is that we may get what we're calling a double dip La Nina, where we have a, a second. We the, the La Nina has weakened, and we've kind of been in a, what we call uh, you know the in between phases, not El Nina or La Nina. It looks like uh, La Nina is likely to uh, uh, come back probably more weekly this winter. So uh, that will start influencing the outlooks as we get into the wintertime, uh, late fall and wintertime, that uh, we, we have some, some, you know, the northern plains particularly has a better chance of being a little cooler, maybe a little stormier uh, as we look ahead towards the wintertime. Um, so, but, but, you know, that's right now that's, that's, that's what the outlooks are saying from, from that standpoint. A double dip La Nina is what you're saying. Yep, yes, yes. Um, not an uncommon thing uh, that when you have uh, a, 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 you know, a La Nina one year that it weakens, but comes back a second year, uh, very unlikely that it's, that it's as strong or stronger than last year. Um, but so that does give us uh, some indications that we can we can get into the outlooks, uh, that we can bring in the outlooks, and the NOAA, NOAA's Climate Prediction Center will be incorporating that into their outlooks as we go along here as the, the likelihood. Uh, they have what's called, a, uh, we're in a La Nina watch right now, uh, as in watching for, for the development of that. Yeah, a lot of folks hoping it means better weather ahead, that's for sure, after what they're dealing with this year. Dennis, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Great, thank you. Take care. Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, we talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The Nashville Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the Nashville Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. 
You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Little rainfall is anticipated this week. There are large areas, particularly in the northwest, that are still in need of more rain, but temperatures will also be mild, helping to reduce stress. A front will dip south into Minnesota on Friday and looks to be active into the weekend that could provide that much-needed rainfall. National corn conditions fell 2 percentage points to 62% in good to excellent condition versus 63% expected and 72% a year ago. National soybean conditions rose two percentage points to 60 percent in good to excellent condition versus expectations for a decline to 57 percent good to excellent and compares with 73 percent last year. On the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading four and a fraction lower at 554 and a half cent. The December contract down three and a fraction at 556. For soybeans, the September contract down 32 and a fraction at 1324. The November contract down 32 and a fraction at 13. 21 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat September down three and three quarters at 725 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat September down a fraction at 703. Minneapolis spring wheat September down seven at 915 and three quarters. The December contract down six and three quarters at 904 and a half cent. For livestock, box beef prices continue to soar with choice cuts up $2.54 and select cuts up $4.19. Orders for Labor Day are strong with the possibility that plants will not be able to satisfy those orders at current slaughter rates. For livestock on the Board of Trade this morning, October live cattle trading 20 cents higher at 127.47. The December contract up 7 at 132.82. For feeders, the September contract up 47 at 162.45. In lean hogs, the October contract up 82 at 90.32. The December contract trading 32 cents higher at 83.20. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten. Roll. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to talk with you again. So we watch these weekly crop ratings and corn down two percent, beans up two percent. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good to be with you as always. Yeah, you know it's this is surprising that beans are up a little bit, but I, I think you're seeing. Let's start with beans. You know we're seeing such good conditions in the Eastern Corn Belt, and that's kind of helped you know, helping to keep, you know, crop conditions from, you know, falling out of bed because of what's happening in the Western Corn Belt. And so I think that's the the thing we have to think about is that Eastern Corn Belt certainly is going to have everything, every indication is, is as we go farther east, the crop just gets better. And it's, and some people will tell you it's some, one of the best, some of the best crops they've ever seen. So I think that's the, the real positive note we have to think about. But you go to the Western Corn Belt, then it's a, it's a much different sort of situation. It's been hot. It's been dry. We've had some rain. You get spotty rain. And so I, I think the, the thing that I'm thinking about when I look at the crop conditions, and, and, and as you all know, it's, it's very difficult to, you can do the analysis and do the math when you look at, um, you know, crop conditions and look at potential yields. And one of the things I have done over the years is use sort of an index where I, I do account for both good, excellent, poor, very poor, and, and fair, and put it all together, and then map that versus the final crop conditions and the final yield. And when you do that, it actually lines up very, very well. 
when you look at high conditions, you get high yields. Low conditions, you get the low yields, which would be very logical. And sometimes that doesn't work when you do it the other way around. But when I look at corn, I look at soybeans and national average yields, I think the USDA is too high on what they on their pro forma yields. So we're probably we're very likely to see in the August numbers. It's dangerous to, to you know predict what USDA is going to do. Uh, to see that that yield on beans is some is somewhere below 50 bushels an acre, not above 50 bushels an acre. That has all sorts of ramifications, and you think about that. If you lose just a bushel of soybeans on the yield, that's about 86 million acres. Or, I'm sorry, 86 million bushels. And when you only have a carryout, will be generous of 150 million. Um, you're getting to a level that we've never been before, and that means higher prices on the soybean side. Corn is, is not dissimilar. Uh, when you think about corn, I would say that the yield right now, rather than to be that 178 and a half, 179, is a lot closer to 175. And so then you start to lose, you know, you start to lose in, you know, it's multiple uh, millions of bushels of corn. And so that that corn S and D tightens up much faster as well. Uh, and you're much you're much closer to the billion bushels you are a 1.4 1.5 billion bushel carryout. And so again, that's going to pretend we're going to see uh, very well supported corn prices and soybean prices going forward. And unless we would see, uh, you know, from a corn perspective, you know, a rain would help from the standpoint of fill and test weight. And we may still see that, but you know, every day that goes by, we don't get that in the Western Corn Belt. You know, just you know, taking bushels off. Beans certainly have an opportunity uh, if we would get a good rain, as we typically do with beans. You get, I mean, I remember those Labor Day rains, and you think beans can't, it's too late, and then they pop up. So I think beans is like wheat. You really don't know until you get in the field and combine it. But the fact is right now, what we know today, uh, yields will be lower than what USDA is putting on the balance sheet right now. August report won't tell the whole story, of course, but there's a little more uh, interest in this August report again. Uh, not not like the old days, maybe, but uh, at least maybe gives us an indication where USDA might be going with these numbers, kind of setting up that September report. That's right. I mean, I think it's very well we have to think about. From a corn perspective, the August number is, I won't, it's certainly not set in stone, but it's a much better number than the soybean number. And we really don't get that physical survey and, and any objective yield data until we get the September number. But you're, you're, the premise of your question is exactly right. That August that August number sets the foundation, the expectations of the trade from which we measure every other report after that, whether we're going up or down on prices. And so it's I always say that this is one of the four critical reports of the year because this sets the expectations, sets the stage for down the road. And and it, we'll just have to wait and see where it, you know, where it comes out. But, you know, when we're, you know, the market has been treading, and I'm going to say treading water here for, you know, really since mid, you know, kind of since the June numbers on acreage, we've been treading water because the market doesn't really know what to expect. It's it's very cautious about are we going up, are we going down, what kind of yields do we have. So I think it's this is. This is such a big report, and it had create, can create so much volatility in price, and we need to be ready for that. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. So every time China makes a purchase, uh, there's always the story, the headlines, and then the backstory. So what do you make of China's uh, recent purchases? Yeah, I think it goes back. They just need they need stuff. There's a lot of different things happening, you know, in China. You know, there is some concern, obviously, about ASF is, is coming back in China. We've also, it's now in the Dominican Republic, so it's getting close to our shores. And, but when you focus on China, they still are, they're growing their hog herd. They still need feed. I think they're very concerned about, I think the Chinese are very concerned about supply in the coming year. Mm-hmm. Because they know the issues that have been, and I'm going to focus on all three commodities, the three big ones. You know, they're concerned about the wheat situation in, in Russia. They're concerned about corn in Ukraine. They're concerned about corn in the United States. They're con- obviously concerned about corn in Brazil. What does that mean? Um, and then, you know, Brazil's been dry. Uh, so the corn, the soybean crop was good last year from a size, and they're supposed to, they're, the, the expectations are that they will expand acreage to 1.5% in Brazil this year. And so they haven't been quite as aggressive, aggressive on beans, uh, but there's no doubt in my mind they're very concerned about what is going to be available and at what price. 
down the road, and they feel like they better do something now because it can only get more expensive when we get there. Yeah, I always find it interesting. Uh, what are try to figure out what they're thinking and how far you know you know they're <laughs> looking ahead. So you're always trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on this wheat market? You know, it's a great question. I said yesterday to someone, I said, I don't know, I ever think, ever thought I would say the market is being concerned about wheat supplies in the world, and and I think that's where the market is. It, it kind of goes back to what we we're just talking about. When you think about what's happening in wheat in the world. You know, Russia certainly is in some issues. You know, we did have a big hard red or wheat, hard red, hard red winter wheat crop here in the United States. But when we look at Durham, we look at hard red spring wheat, both here and in Canada, you know, it's in trouble. Um, and then, you you know, Argentina is Argentina. And what, what will they have available and what won't they have available? And they have Brazil as a big importer. And does Brazil have to reach out farther to get wheat? So I think there are some real concerns about wheat going forward. And if you're a buyer of wheat for flour purposes, you know, you've got to be concerned about the protein situation because you're going to have a low-protein HRW crop, and then you're going to have your high-protein HRS isn't going to be available. And and that's going to be, a, a, you know, that's just, that's your high-protein to mix to get your, you know, to blend to get your flour milling, uh, to get your right protein in your flour. So then you've got that crop. You know, it's been it's been hot in the Pacific Northwest. That white wheat crop may be in, in danger as well. Um, and your your SRW crop in the Ohio Valley is fine, but it's a low-protein crop. So you've got all sorts of issues around wheat uh, that are going to be very supportive of wheat going forward. And, and we saw, and I hate to be so narrow about what happened yesterday, but you look at what happened to wheat yesterday, it gives you an indication as to how volatile the wheat market could be on its own because of the fundamentals there as well. So I think from a wheat producer, you've got some great opportunities on the marketing side here that you should take advantage of now uh, and also take advantage of, you know, in the, uh, you know, the upcoming years because you don't always get these wheat prices very well. As we know, the world can produce wheat in a heartbeat if it needs to. But right now the weather has become an issue globally on wheat. Yeah, it's it's such a different uh, scenario because it seems like <laughs> yeah. for the longest time the world's been awash in wheat, and it didn't seem like it yep. mattered much what we grew of, to a certain extent, you know, in the big picture yep. because there was so much wheat out there. But as you point out, now that has changed. Yeah, and I, and we didn't even mention Europe. I mean, it's been it's been hot in Europe, and particularly in Germany, and you know that wheat crop has had its issues as well. And they're a, you know they're a big wheat producer, they're a big wheat user, they're also a big a big wheat importer. The other thing we should mention here in the States on the wheat side is that we are seeing more wheat being fed in the Southern Plains, which we just didn't think would ever happen. Um, and we're finding that producers are figuring out what that, what is the optimal ration and that they can mix corn and wheat in that ration. And it's not, it's a good ration. And so they're, that may, they may be sticking up. So we may see a little bit more wheat to you. And I think that's the thing on USA's balance sheet they didn't take into account last time. So we'll see if they, here in August or in September, start to account for a little more wheat feeding here in the state. So the wheat market is, uh, yeah, I mean, the, you always think the world's a wash in wheat, and that's not necessarily the case right now, which is just remarkable in and of itself. So many things different uh, this year than uh, what we've seen for a number yeah. of years in the past, and it, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, the August report shows us uh, coming up here in a few days. And Steve, we'll talk again after that and get your reaction to what yeah. USDA releases. Thanks a lot. That would be great. Good to talk to you as always, Mike. Take care. All right, all right. Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Just we just had huge stocks for so long that this is just a whole new ball game now and things are different not only here in this country but as, as steve was pointing out the the, uh, the situations in a lot of other areas of the world especially when it comes to wheat a lot different so uh, a lot of a uh, lot of emphasis a lot of attention will be on our crops here this year and what uh, what what's the size and we'll get a little bit of a little bit of a handle on that uh, next week from uh, USDA, setting up then a bigger report, of course, in September. Well, one of the areas uh, looking pretty good in crop production this year is the state of Illinois. We will talk with Illinois farmer David Erickson for a crop report from his area next on AOA. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Any Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Preston Zacharias, Commodity Manager for CHS Hedging, talking about the value of diversifying your grain marketing plan. Preston, although we have some volatility in the markets, a weather market certainly, commodity markets overall have certainly been strong. What should farmers be thinking about when it comes to grain marketing right now? When you have prices this high, you really should be considering playing a little bit of defense if you know how big your crop is. For instance, I'm sure a lot of the guys who have done their marketing already have some percentage of their crops sold. But, you know, as we get to a stage where we're beyond pollination for corn and, uh, you know, wheat, there's actually some harvest going on already. You may have an idea of what the size of your crop is. And I think in a year like this with high price environment, you should be relatively well marketed now or in the next month. So, you know, if I was to use a rough number, I would say that uh, anybody should be marketed between 50 and 70% right now. These are really good prices. And at these levels, almost everybody can make money, assuming they have the production. Well, diversification is a standard risk management strategy, but how can we apply this? How can farmers diversify their marketing approach? The best return on investment for capital expenditure is bins. That gives you some diversification on when you have to be able to sell your crop. If you have no bin space and have to deliver at the same time as everybody else is forced to deliver, you find yourself at the mercy of the market at harvest, which is in general sort of the worst time that you can be marketing things. If you've got some bin space and you have, for instance, an inverted market in corn and a carry market in beans, then that's telling that you should hold the beans and sell the corn or vice versa happens in some years. But having the bin space is a a really good element in your diversification of your marketing. That's Preston Zacharias, Commodity Manager for CHS 
Hedging. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue with our crop watch, checking in with farmers uh, around the country. Today we look at the state of Illinois, which overall is in one of those states that's in pretty good shape this year, but some parts different than other parts of the state. Let's check in with David Erickson, who farms near the Quad Cities. David, thanks for joining us. How are things looking in your area? Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, pretty good. Um, we're, we're in one of those areas that's had plenty of rain pretty much all along, maybe a little bit too much in some cases. Um, but overall, the, the crop looks good. Not sure that it's a, a record setter, but it uh, looks like a pretty good crop. You had a few challenges getting started, didn't you? Well, we got kind of started uh, about on time, Mike, um, but... Um, there was kind of a window there from the last week of April through the first week of May that worked really well. And then uh, things got a little dicey after that, got kind of wet and uh, a little cooler temperatures. And that's probably what impacted maybe some late planting in some cases and then also some um, less than ideal emergence in in, uh, some fields as well. So many beans seem to get off to a slow start. Did yours? Yeah, they did kind of go slow, Mike, but, uh, and, and I think part of it was due to that cool, uh, wet weather. I would say that overall the, the bean crop looks pretty good now. It's, it's evened itself out here in the last, um, couple of weeks or so. Uh, we got beyond some heavy rains that we had the last week of June and, uh, kind of got into a dry, uh, drier time frame here with just, um, you know, intermittent showers and rains and not as, as heavy amounts as what we had. Um, I think probably there'll be some concern about some diseases in soybeans as uh, we get toward maturity, depending on how much stress they went through there um, early in the spring, um, you know, following emergence. So far, we've not had the heat stress we've had in some years past. No, I mean, we've had some nice warm weather and we've had some things, um, you know, come through some weeks of 90s here, but um, we've always found some relief uh, or the nighttime temperatures at least cooled um, what would be mm-hmm. kind of more normal amounts. So I think uh, temperature-wise, we're in good shape and I think we're um, probably ahead the last time I checked on growing degree units um, this year versus last year, which... You know, I think earlier in the summer, we were concerned that maybe we weren't getting the heat that we needed. But I think we're in pretty good shape right now, Mike. Yeah, the story's still being written on the beans, obviously. But uh, when you look at that corn, and I'm sure you've checked a few ears, uh, how's it looking? How's it uh, developing? We came through pollination very well. Um, It looks like most... um, corn you know you can tell here where you're at and what you got um you know coming out of sweet corn season or right at the tail end of our normal sweet corn season and that looked very good um so i think um we did well in pollination if we can fill out those kernels that we have uh, we should have a a, you know a very good corn crop um minus you know maybe a few wet holes that were out there um that um didn't get filled back in and or you know got got replanted but didn't survive that either so i think the corn crop overall here appears to be a little today i would say is better than our soybean crop much disease or insect pressure this year you know um you would think there'd be an overabundant amount of leaf diseases in corn given the the humid um wet weather that we had i don't know that it is any above average i think there's probably been more treatment um for uh, fungal and leaf diseases um and uh hopefully that'll stave off some of that 
think we're just coming in, you know, a lot of soybeans got sprayed with fungicide and insecticides over the last, um, oh, two weeks, I would say. And, um, nothing has shown up real dramatically yet, but part of that, you don't know whether we avoided it through treatment or it wasn't there in the first place. We may not know that till harvest time. David, as everyone in farming knows, one of the one of the really negative parts of the business is a lot of times it takes problems for somebody else for the, for say prices to be better for someone having a good year, and and you're, we're certainly seeing that now. We know with the folks in the Western Corn Belt really struggling. It's been hot, it's been dry, and their crops way down. Uh, Eastern Corn Belt looking, as you said, so much better. Uh, I know you really feel for those farmers going through a, a very tough year. Uh, we do, and you know, we're really not too far away from me in Illinois, Mike. Um, like the northeastern uh, quarter of, um, maybe not quarter, but northeastern portion of the state, above I-80, and and uh, you know, east of 39, had um, pretty dry area there. I think they've gotten some rains, but uh, you know, maybe the top end had been taken out of that too. So you don't have to go too far from home to know uh, people who had problems. Uh, yeah, you know, we all hope for uh, those people who maybe are down a little bit this year that it's not something that they were uh, in an area where they were down a little in production last year as well to compound the problems. You just kind of hope in farming that uh, on average you can you can stay there with a, a winning crop and a winning combination that keeps you profitable. Yeah, because you always know that uh, when you see those those tough conditions that that could be you next year right so you that's just the way it goes but right now you may be that one of those rare years where you have good crops and good prices right that that could be yeah and i think that people uh, you know that that's almost uh more than you hope for and maybe sometimes more than you can handle because uh the pressure is that you know you know that you you want to be as profitable as you can in a in a good year with yields and prices because uh, you know that next year might be around the corner when you're not quite as profitable. Yeah, you, you don't get these chances very often. You want to make the most of it when you can. David, good to talk with you. Thanks again. We'll talk again at harvest time, okay? All right. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. You too. Illinois farmer David Erickson. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.